0: Hey everyone, Uh, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded by me, Liam Miller, he, him, his, on the unceded sovereign lands of the Gayamago people. I'm just jumping on quickly with a little note about this episode. So this is going to be a repost of of the monthly Black Lives Matter in the Church in Australia panels that I've been fortunate enough to be a part of that are run by uh, Reverend Dr. Catalina Tehafe Williams and Reverend Tawalofa Anganalangi. Um, Really appreciate them letting me be a part of those this year, and it's been great to be able to post the uh, panel discussions uh, as podcast episodes as well to help them reach a wider audience. This session was going to be a panel with uh, Dr. Ann Patel-Gray, uh, who unfortunately was um, way up in the north of the country and was having internet issues, so joined us late. So what I've done is basically just put on the last 30 minutes of the panel with, with Anne. The first while of the discussion was kind of just the panel talking about the year that's gone and some of the um, you know key engaging helpful moments of the uh, various conversations that we've had um, which was great but I just thought I'll put that aside and we've just got this kind of Anne talking for a while about Indigenous theology uh, and then asking a couple of questions uh, and uh, so yes it's just a shorter kind of snippet of the panel but it was so powerful and potent and brilliant, uh, everything that Anne had to say. So it's definitely, I, was, I just had to find, you know, was definitely gonna post that. Uh, but that's just, so just to say, this is a little intro and so it might feel a bit different because it feels like it might picks up out of nowhere. Um, but that was just to accommodate the fact that there was internet issues and other kinds of things going on. So uh, for those who don't know, who am be joining this and like what's going on. Um, Anne Patel Gray is a descendant of the Bajara Nation in uh, Queensland and is the um, head of Australia First Nations Programme of World Vision Australia. Uh, She was awarded a PhD in 1995 from the University of Sydney in their Studies of Religion uh, Department and was awarded a Doctor of Divinity in 1997. Uh, Her must-read, must-get book is The Great White Flood, Racism in Australia, which was published in the late 90s. But... Um, is still vastly underread in Australian theological circles. So, please go check that out and get that and enjoy this conversation. The bio notes for for everyone else for Catalina and Howalafa and Emma uh, will always be in the show notes. Um, yeah, thanks. And I guess this is our last one before Christmas. So, Merry Christmas. Um, yeah, Merry Christmas.
1: Look, in this area of, um, you know, the construction of an, an Aboriginal um, theology, we've probably been working on it since the, uh, oh, gosh, it's been going on by a number of our minist- uh, ministers over the years, starting in probably in the 60s with Don um, Brady. And um, Don Brady uh, began to look at the movement in the US. So he was greatly influenced by Martin Luther King um, with his theology. And, in fact, the um, Methodist Church at the time had a delegation going to the US, and uh, so they went across, and uh, he happened to um, come across uh, Martin Luther King and and got to meet him and was very influenced by a theology, and he, he kept struggling with that. So when he came home, Um, to, you know, being in the context of a very racist uh, state and uh, oppressive system, he started standing up. And, and in fact, he was one of the um, instigators in Queensland who began the land rights movement. And uh, there is an incredible photo of the six-foot-four man in clergy ground leading the land rights march. And it's such a powerful imagery Um, calling for justice. And um, he then started challenging the church about its theology because it it presented to us a theology of submission, um, that we were to submit to their superiority, that we were inferior, and also that uh, we were uh, condemned to be cursed by Ham, to be a black race of servants and serve white people. So, you know, this whole colonial context of theology that came to Australia, Don Brady began to challenge that. And, of course, we all know what the church did. The Methodist church uh, defrocked him because of his his position and, and stance on um, on justice. Mm-hmm. And uh, they then also, you know, the churches are cunning. They, they, they're clever at what they do because they don't just... Turn themselves away, the white church away from you, they contaminate our own people to do the same thing. And our people persecuted that man and marginalised him. That when Charles Harris came along uh, to set up Congress, Charles was ministering, he, he left North Queensland. And of course, I grew up under Charles Harris's ministry. And Charles' ministry took a 360 degree, I can tell you that now. He was ultra-conservative to begin with, a very evangelical, AOG, conservative um, theology that he preached. And um, while he was preaching in Paddington, he would preach, go to the park, uh, Musgrove Park, and preach to the homeless and the drunks and, and uh, you know, the um, marginalised uh, mob of our people, and there was this old man who would quote scriptures at him and really bombard him with scriptures and challenge Charles's theology. The Charles like, whoa, where is this man, you know, coming from? How come he knows his Bible so well? I'll cut a little cut long story short, uh, God bless, he was Don Brady. He was in the park homeless and drunk, mm-hmm. and that's what the church did to him. Wow. and Charles he, he Charles went every day and sat with that old man because he taught Charles a, a, a theology of justice. He challenges Charles's theology um, to stop being submissive and uh, and to stop. Internalising a colonial theology—it wouldn't have been called that back then—but I call it a colonial mm-hmm. theology of oppression. And uh, you know, if we talk about if a God was our if God was our creator from the beginning, then why would God want us to be submissive to someone else? You know, and why would God need um, to talk through white people? when God's been communicating with our people for thousands of years. So all of a sudden, you know, poor old Charles, he was, he was um, <laughs> you know, bombarded. But God blessed Don Brady because he brought Charles to a different point um, and revolutionised his theology, that he became very social justice uh, focused And also uh, wanted to see uh, his vision for Congress was to raise up uh, Black theologians and ministers to minister to their own about justice, uh, decolonizing the theology um, and biblical narratives that were presented to us about a meek and mild Jesus. And that, you know, the best thing we black people could do is sit and wait for Jesus to come, you know, and uh, and not to be, not to participate in a, a theology of rising up and and deconstructing colonial theology and challenging the church. And um, so I'm a part of that legacy, that history. I've had incredible uh, men and women in my life that have influenced my theology and um, I'm in the process of rewriting it all now and uh, it's, it's of course, called Red Ochre Theology and uh, I hope to have it out in the next year or two. Oh. But
2: Are you writing the, it for the emerging um, publication, Emerging Theologies in the Global South publication?
1: I'm uh, doing little bits and pieces okay. here and there uh, and it'll yeah. eventually... It'll come okay. together in a, okay, in a cool big context. But, you know, I've got to name people like, you know, Bishop Arthur Malcolm, Cecil Grout, Graham Paulson, um, uh, David Kirk, and, and so many, um, what's his name up there, was it the Cape, um, oh, Lutheran, Oh, isn't that terrible? I've just gone blank. Um, you know, so many uh, of our elders that have gone before us, and, you know, quite often our women are left out. They've been um, marginalised. You know, one of the things us black women are doing now, and there's some seminars and webinars coming up, is talking about how our voice has been silenced and our leadership has been um, marginalised and made invisible. Uh, both secular and um, I talk about it from the church perspective. And um, and because um, many, uh, a number of the leadership, male leadership that has come into Congress has come out of those very ultra-conservative um, evangelical movements like the Inland Mission, you know, Aboriginal Inland Mission, uh, the AEF, the Aboriginal Evangelical Fellowship, and, uh, and so on. And they have embraced and basically hold to a colonial theology that marginalises and silences women and uh, that demonise culture. And um, the difference with our culture is our co- we recognise our culture our spirituality is God-given, that the the Creator gave us our language, our law, our land, um, our spirituality, everything, who we are today is God-given. Why would we then want to, you know, uh, get rid of it uh, and take on a colonial theology that tells me as a black woman I'm worthless, I have no worth. Why would I want to embrace something like that? When my culture and my spirituality and my theology says I'm valued, I'm a child of God and I have every right to be a part of, you know, the construction of my theology of how I communicate to the Creator. So when we look at all of that and we look at where we're going, it's a long journey, you know. Uh, George Rosendale is the other gentleman I was trying to think of, Ginny Inikondara, Ronong, and, you know, um, you've got women like Arnie Jean Phillips. You've got um, also uh, some of our other Congresswomen that uh, Dorothy uh, um, Harris and, yeah. and others who have been silenced and their voice just marginalised, you know, Mm. and yet these women had um, a theology that was um, mother-centred around nurturing, caring, you know, focused on children and uh, all the things that are very important to us uh, as a community, So our theology continues to go through evolution Um, and at the moment um, I'm talking now to some of the universities and divinity schools and saying, you know, where do we fit? Where does an Aboriginal or Australia First Nation theology and spirituality department fit within the schools of divinity? Uh, Because we should be there. We should be embraced. It should be something that every student is learning or encountering, engaging with. I think, you know, some of the things that I think is really sad is because every denomination we are training the next generation of church leaders and clergy to go and minister in Australia, And sadly, none of them, all of them are ill-equipped to uh, close the great divide that exists between the white churches and Australia First Nations because they know nothing. They learn nothing. They come out just full of colonial theology about their superiority and their relationship with God, we're still doing a theology that is connected to Europe. We haven't even begun to look at our own country and draw a theology from this earth based on and exposing the injustice. And what does that injustice say? If God calls us to create a theology of uh, justice, then How do we speak into this context? How do we then speak into a context of a country that has just done so much destruction and dehumanised a race of people and where we continue to see racism being perpetuated even today and uh, where leadership is not recognised or embraced You know, it's just sad. It really is sad because uh, you know yourself, Catalina, in the 80s, you know, in the early 90s, the incredible work that was done uh, between the white church and us, you know, the black and white leadership, it Mm. was incredible Mm. and it was powerful Mm. and we walked together Mm. and um, today it's Mm. invisible. We're back to where we're non-existent again. Mm. And, um, you know, people like myself that want to hold the church accountable, who want to talk about a church that is inclusive, a church that raises up and recognises our leadership, You know, a seminary that incorporates First Nation theology and spirituality and missiology and history and all of those things, when they don't have that as a core of their theological training and their seminary training, then we're never going to bridge the great divide. Because it's through them, those ministers, those clergies, those theologians, will we begin to change our narrative. And this is what this country needs, is a new narrative, a new way of speaking about Australia First Nation. Not in a deficit, but in strength, recognising what They bring to the table the wealth of knowledge, spirituality, connection to country, just even our laws, what we bring to the table. And only then when that recognition can happen and when people can be silenced long enough to learn and receive, then can we begin to maybe, you know, look at a different way of doing church in Australia. I firmly believe that the churches are dying simply because if you want to talk it, call it sin, because of its sin, it's never going to heal, it's never going to go anywhere unless it faces the, the original sin and that's its damnation of the, the Australia First Nation. Then if you stand for something, you've got to, you've got to stand for something, hey. Got to, you know, you can't go out and preach to people and have no position or, or stance. You know what I mean? And this is what the church is today. They're all wishy-washy. They don't really <laughs> do anything. They don't say anything. But all we want to do is, is we want to run away and lick our wounds. You know what I mean? We've been persecuted. We've been held accountable. We've been judged and we've been made to pay restitution for the sin uh, to children and, and adults. That's only fair. That's God's justice. That's God's righteousness. We should be held to account. But this is not a time to run away and hide and lick This is now when you stand up in the accountability and you'd say we have sinned we have fallen short we have done this and God forgive us people forgive us let us try to open you know in a, in some sense of humility let us try to learn how to go forward now um you know and, and do things right and um And transform who we are as a church, as a nation. Um, You know, when I look at the national leader of this country who calls himself a Christian, I'm embarrassed to even use the word Christian because Mm -hmm. it is an embarrassment. Um, You know, when you talk about not standing for anything, please, (laughs) what do you stand for? Um and sadly, you know, I have to ask the churches, what do you stand for today? you know what is your message besides salvation what's your message? why should children and young people come to you? what is it that they need to hear? how do you celebrate and and empower their voice? how do you where everything that was going on in government, you know, uh, in regards to the domestic violence around this country, the violence towards women, the, the, when parliament can be so sexualized and demonise women's value. And the church has done the same. Regardless of what colour you are, women, we all know, the church has done the same to us. And it's time that young men like you, Liam, and others hold that church to a higher standard, you know, of leadership, of where we value our women and we value their leadership and where they are just as equal as any male and where we can then remove that patriarchy and misogyny out of our theology and out of our church. That's the theology I'm looking for and that's what I'm hoping to be able to discuss. Anything I write, any theological conversations I have with young people, I want it to be um, a spark that lights a fire within them. Whether you agree or disagree with me, I don't care, but as long as you're having the conversation... That's what I want to spark. I want to spark conversation and um, you know, and what your position is. Because uh, it doesn't have to be my position. This is just this is coming out of my life. Theology to me is a personal journey. It is based on one's personal experience. And that's why it differs with so many different races and cultures and peoples and genders because it's your relationship with the Creator that you speak from. And, you know, I learn from that because we always say, you know, you don't understand somebody until you walk a mile in their shoes. Now, I may not get the opportunity to walk a mile in your shoes, but by gosh, when you share your theology, I get to feel your experience I get to relate to, you know, your relationship with the Creator and what that means and how that has empowered you through your trials and tribulations. That's what I find powerful. You know, I always refer to Bornhoffer as uh, I, I'm always, um, Bornhoffer for me is, is the be-all and end-all, you know, uh, because that man lived his faith. He laid his life on the line for justice, for the stranger, the people he didn't even know, but they were his people. He laid it out for the Jews and then he died. You know, how many of us are prepared to die for what we believe? Truly, when we talk about and we minister about the disciples, and their persecution and the persecution of Jesus and the way they were crucified and the way they died, and Christians still it's still happening around the world. I really think that unless you're in a place of oppression and persecution. You cannot begin to relate to what the disciples even went through, you know. We can talk about it. We can pontificate. But there's something different about when you've got to carry that cross and you've got to pick it up every day, you know. And all that goes with that cross that's symbolised in the discrimination, humiliation, the degradation, you know, everything that Jesus suffered in that cross, us people who are oppressed, we we can relate to that cross. That cross is a powerful symbol for us because not only is it a symbol of oppression and persecution, it's a symbol of liberation and that's what's powerful because that's the symbol. Yeah, we know we're suffering. We know we're struggling. We know there are a lot of things against us. But while there's breath in us, we won't stop fighting. We will fight for God's righteous justice to happen in this country. And, And it's through people who join us. It's through our shared theology, our shared conversations, will we transform a country. Thank
0: you. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Anne Patel Gray. Thank you for for that. It's you know, so profound and moving, and, and challenging, and and hopeful. So we really do appreciate that, and I think we're all very excited to uh, to read the works that you're developing. And hopefully, you know, we're all very excited for that, yes. that that's, that's happening too. That's, you're coming. Yeah, that's that's thrilling. Um, we're getting close to time, um, so do we want to do like one or two questions, or do we? What do we, what? Do we, I'm looking at my panelists to say, my fellow panelists here what we're thinking about here. We can like trim some other stuff off the end if we if we need to, and you know, and stay a bit longer here in, in this part of the conversation. What are people feeling? Maybe one or two questions. Yeah. Um does it Catalina do you have one
2: to oh well I't to... not not so much a question it's more like a comment when Anne talked about because one of the big issues raised in the last conversation with naomi um is is how we can um include indigenous theologies in the current curriculum of theological uh, institutions and colleges yeah. and you know uh, like you uh, Liam I'm excited to hear Anne is talking to you know theological institutions to you know divinity departments and so on and so forth but, you know because that's exactly what uh i think uh gary and naomi are also doing um in on their part you know to yes. to do that so um i'm you know i guess i'm wondering how what the what connections can be made you know across um the kind of work that is doing and the kind of work that naomi and um gary are doing and the kind of work that someone like brooke is doing, you know, like those kinds of connections is something that I'm wondering if we,
1: yeah. we do work together. Um, okay. you know, we're kind of cross fertilize. Mm. I will be um, a keynoting um, next year, I think it's in March or no, February at the opening next year of the Divinity School, uh, the Pilgrim um, College. Mm. So uh, I'll be raising great. those questions there, mm. um, you know. And um, I do a lot of stuff also for uh, Brooke and them for... Um, Common the Grace. Yes. Um, so we're trying to, you know, cross-fertilise where we can and, and uh, touch base where we can. Um, to be on the same theme and, um, you know, raising the same questions, I suppose, which is good um, because, you know, it's it's long overdue. It's something mm. I've been talking about for 20-odd years, you know, mm. people must get know. sick of hearing me ask them and, um, <laughs> you know, but uh, as I said, I won't shut up and, until we get somewhere. And um, <laughs> I, I just think it's, you know, in 1996, um the uh, Adelaide College of Divinity um, that was run by Charles uh, Biggs at that time and Andrew Dutney was on staff as well, they engaged me and I came over for visiting a visiting professorship and I lectured there for six months to all um, potential graduates Uh, who were graduating that year, and the last six months they had to do with me, and we did a a number of courses and um, everything else. Now, I can tell you it was a pretty scary place because, you know, I had a former pastoralist. I I had every kind of, uh, you know, person that you could think that was against Uh, aboriginal positions and uh, they were hostile but I also had friends and um, it was a, a difficult time but god bless you know at the end of the day every student that was in that class was walking with us at the end of the day that's how powerful we have to talk and to lecture Um, to be able to inform their theological growth uh, and their ministry but also to look at evangelism and, and, uh, you know, mission in a new context from, you know, the first people's eyes Um, and and to challenge a theology that is still somewhat patriarchal and colonial. I don't think a lot of people realise how colonial their theology is Um, and that, you know, the seminaries realise that they're still teaching a a colonial theology, Um, you know, and um, and that's sad uh, because our ministers need to be learning how to live in this country and in our context in Asia-Pacific. So we should be engaging in theology that is relevant in our south, not to the north. And uh, and I keep saying that, you know. And um, I even challenged Andrew about it and said, Andrew, when you when do you start looking here instead of looking to the theologians from Europe, you know? And
2: Andrew, I mean Andrew journey?
1: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And Andrew begun that journey, and um, you know, he I said to him, you know, you need to go and find who you are. I said, you know, land and where you come from and identity is everything. And if you don't know who you are, then you cannot understand where we're coming from. And I said, you white people need to go and find out where you come from and you need to reconnect with your heritage, your culture. And he did that. He had an opportunity. He went to Scotland. He (laughs) He took a sabbatical. It was life transforming. And he came back and he said, Anne, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about now. And I said, praise Jesus, you know, that's mm. simple as that. And, mm. uh, and I think, you know, what makes it so powerful is, is, is people from Asia, from uh, the Pacific, uh, from Africa, from all of these other different regions and cultures around the world all know what we're talking about because you have retained identity. And some places, language. You know who you are. You know where your country is. You know your heritage. And that's what, and and you're living here. And, okay, you're becoming, you know, a part of Australia, uh, fabric. But you're bringing all of that wealth with you. And and this is where we need to look at, you know, non-Indigenous in the context of white Australians. Because so many don't know who they are. And that's why I believe they're so racist towards us and so anti uh, First Nations. Because it, it is confronting when you don't know who you are, you know, and where you come from. And, um, and you based your identity on a history that's a lie. And that's being pulled out from underneath you. Where do you go? You got nowhere to go. So, you know, it's sad. Yeah.